we believe that there is a need for a prayer revival in marriages today. There are many couples that are just hurting. They're walking through disappointment in their marriage. Um, They're desperate for hope. Marriage is the most sacred relationship on this earth, and we really believe that prayer is, is the single most powerful way to transform it. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests are finding balance in their lives by committing their closest relationships to prayer and giving their worries and expectations to God. Pastors Joel and Nina Schmidgall and writer and podcaster Darlene Brock. Up first, Joel and Nina Schmidgall live in Washington, D.C. and minister to couples at National Community Church. Over the years, they have learned how to include God's love and guidance in their marriage by praying to Him. Joel and Nina have collaborated with their friends, Mark and Laura Batterson, and put their discoveries into a new book called Praying Circles Around Your Marriage. My name is Joel Schmidgall, and I'm executive pastor at National Community Church. We're in Washington, D.C., and originally from Chicago, huge Cubs fan, and have three little kids and a dog and a pet bee in our backyard. His name is Marty, and I think he's like, the 25th generation of carpenter bees in our backyard, and the kids believe him as our original pet. I'm Nina Schmidgall, and I am the Director of Family Ministry at National Community Church. And I grew up on the West Coast in California, but moved to D.C. originally uh, a long while ago now to work for Congress, and I now get to spend my time in ministry. I first met Joel, who lived in a... uh, he calls it like a Christian fraternity. It was a house of guys on Capitol Hill, really committed to intentional community. And one thing that they would do was have these dinners. It was a great way to get to, you know, connect and network and, and particularly meet other people of faith around the city. And so I was invited to that dinner and I met Joel there originally. And I, I think both of us probably agreed that we were, you know, pretty interested right away. And so we really hit it off, but it actually took um, a number of months before we started dating. And then we started on this journey. It was about two and a half years that we dated. And um, there was some highs and some lows in getting to know one another. And then we jumped into marriage and we merged very different backgrounds. But there is beauty in diversity. And that's what we found, that, uh, that God can use those differences and really bless you in unique ways through them, not in spite of them. Yeah, we came from really different backgrounds. Joel was a pastor's kid. Uh, who grew up in a home of just intentional faith. And um, I had grown up in a home just, you know, um, incredibly supportive and encouraging, but also um, had had broken marriage. And and so there were some just concerns about how we navigate that and figure out, uh, you know, who we were and what we would carry into marriage. So I grew up in a really great home. Dad was a pastor. My parents were both in ministry and committed to that. And I love their marriage. Here's the thing. They had a fantastic marriage that they modeled for us so good that it seemed like they didn't ever argue. And they were really good at kind of protecting us from from the tensions and and the challenges and the arguments. And they would have those behind the closed door. And they just, it was a wonderful gift to us. So then when I got into marriage, my expectation was, everything should be perfect. We should never have conflict. We should never have tension. And so I've actually had to grow in that area. What is healthy conflict or what we would call war? What does healthy war look like within an intimate relationship? 
early on in our marriage, we had some really incredible counsel that just talked to us about the importance of learning to fight fair. And, um, and I think that that will likely be a marriage long pursuit for the two of us for sure. And I probably was more comfortable with conflict and had a lot more growth to do in being careful and still do about, um, you know, making sure that conflict remains healthy and, um, and as, you know, is pushing towards growth, um, not division. To create safe places to dig into hard spaces provides an opportunity, I think, to address some issues before they become issues. Because the truth is, anytime something becomes an issue in the heat of the moment, it's usually not the most healthy approach. So we encourage things like, you know, a regular, uh, like for us, it was a Sunday night walk, but for others, maybe it's just a, it's a date night or routine checkpoint where, you know, couples can really lean in and know that there will be a safe kind of time where I can kind of you know, address some of the things that have maybe been bothering or concerning me and maybe even working in a habit of some really intentional prompt questions. And, and, but I think for Joel, knowing that that was on the calendar, he was able to kind of be mentally prepared for more intentional conversation. And for me, those things were able to be addressed when they weren't in the heat of moment or frustration. Joel and Nina describe how their years of working on their own marriage gave them insight and compassion for couples going through the same things in their church. With the encouragement of their pastor, Mark Batterson, and his wife, Laura, Joel and Nina decided to write a book focused on how prayer should be at the core of every healthy marriage. So the past couple of years, we had been praying that the Lord would give us more opportunity to work together. And the the place where we have done that the most has been with uh, couples and in marriages. And so really when, when Mark approached us, it was just a confirmation of something we've been praying about for a long time. So really exciting time. Praying circles around your marriage is 17 years in the making. Pastor Mark actually came to us and he pushed this book out of us. He drew it. We, we had, Nina and I had shared a message, a sermon at National Community Church, and he came to us a couple weeks later. He said, you guys, I'm going to give you something to think about, to pray about. And he pulled this book out of. And for us, it was a huge affirmation because there are few people in life that know us more, know our marriage more than Mark and Laura. And, and when I say that, I mean, they know the good and the bad. And so the fact that they said, we really believe you guys have something to speak and to say on this was was humbling, to be honest. And so we feel like, man, we've we've written this along with them because a lot of their wisdom and advice uh, has been invested into our marriage. This book was written in the margin moments. It was written in the conflict moments. It was written on the highs and the lows, um, collaborating in life. And so really this book is the outcome of many years of friendship and marriage and investment and prayer. And it's a book about marriage, but truthfully, it's a book about prayer. And so it does really match up uh, with Pastor Mark's book, The Circle Maker, because it's an outgrowth. It's a book about prayer in the realm of the sacred relationship of marriage. So I love the quote that says, you really only make a few decisions in life and then you spend the rest of your life managing those decisions, you know, marriage would be one of those few decisions. When you make that decision, you just made a million other decisions, right? Same thing with kids. As soon as you have that kid, man, you made a lot of decisions. 
Um, so the reality is this is this is one of the biggest decisions in life, and it deserves one of our greatest investments in life as well. It is our hope that we could really uh, call couples to um, be willing to consider what is God able to accomplish only through you as a couple that he couldn't do through you individually, um, and to spend some time really reflecting on that. You think about a vision as you sit down in a boardroom and you talk it out and you figure out a vision. But most of the vision throughout scripture was brought about because people got on their knees, they sought God, and God showed up and brought his revelation into their souls. We do that for ourselves, but rarely do we do that for our marriage. I would say a vision would be a shared way of seeing, and that begets a clarifying purpose, a shared way of doing, and that helps us navigate decisions. Which is, our which is ultimately our purpose that comes together. If you have a clear vision, it will halt a thousand arguments. And so for us, when we talk about our vision of we want to give more than we receive, that's a great vision. You know, it's the same reason you have policy. You create policy so you don't have to make the same decision a thousand times. When you get a vision together as a couple, you have found a place of clarity in your marriage. And when you come to decisions that would otherwise turn into an argument, you instead lean into the vision that you both have prayed into and solidified in your hearts. And so then you're on the same page. And so um, it's more than just, hey, let's do a good thing. No, this is practical. This is nuts and bolts into the details of your relationship. And it helps you function not just on a large scale, but on a small scale on a day-to-day -day basis as well. And we actually really uh, encourage all couples to make it a part of their um, marriage routine to have a vision retreat, something um, where they kind of have come back to intentionally annually or maybe even couple of times a year um, and are spending some time reflecting on things like, hey, you know, what are some of the unique things about our marriage that God might be intending to use? And, and what do we want to be about? And how do we see God kind of using us or pulling us in the same direction so that we can, um, and how can we, you know, maximize that? So there are questions and prompts throughout the book to help couples maybe be more intentional about that. And we hope that we'll save a lot of uh, conflict <laughs> from folks who end up you know, feeling like they're pulling against each other as opposed to really dreaming about what God might intend to use them for uh, in ways that he couldn't have otherwise. So it's a long process. It's prayerful. It's listening posture to one another. Um, but when you push through and you really seek to understand one another, um, God will take you to a place of purpose that that fixes a lot of arguments if you just live with purpose in your marriage. I think praying circles around our own marriage has been huge, but each season, I think it's practiced a little differently. So early on, it was these Sunday night prayer walks that we would do, and we would, we would just circle our neighborhood. We would circle our house, and some of that was conversation with each other, and some of it was conversation with God. I think over time, as you start, we've got three kids now, and life is different. And so um, we have our different rhythms in different seasons. And so, but a couple things, we have a dog now. We got to walk the dog. So every night, about midnight, I take that dog for a walk and it's a prayer circle. I'm praying over our marriage. I'm praying over our house. I'm praying over our family. Um, but you find these little ways. Don't You don't have to fight against your schedule. Just utilize your schedule. Another moment for me is every day when I get home from work, from the 
from the car door to the house. And we live in the city. So that could be many blocks, actually. So (laughs) it can be a long walk. But from the car door to the house, I'm asking God, I'm submitting God to give my full effort to my marriage. And you know how it works. You, You give everything you have to work, and then you come home and you give whatever leftovers you have to your marriage. But that little prayer walk right there, that little prayer circle is me saying, no, I'm coming into this house and I'm going to give everything I have. I'm going to be intentional about loving my wife the best that I can. So these little prayer prompts throughout the day, it's not like we have an hour that we just do this all at once, but we have prompts throughout our day, throughout our week that keeps us consistent um, in getting the mind of God. Intentional and committed prayer and um, devotion and scripture study is is really, really important. And where we've seen it probably the most um, transformational in our marriage, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, exercise, right? Every day and regular exercise is important, but, uh, but also there's times where you maybe want, you, you push extra or you put a little things back in order, you have a reset. I was really impacted by the idea of getting the mind and the heart of God, because so often, in our culture, prayer is a transactional item. It's a transactional action. So I want to talk to God because I need something from God. And so will he give it to me or will he not give it to me? If he did, then maybe I'll believe in him. But here, here we come into Jesus calling and it has nothing to do with that. It, it's, it's, a, it's a posture of listening. It's a posture of receiving. It's a posture of elevating our thought to have God thoughts. We see in the scripture in Acts chapter 2, that the result of being in the presence of God is to dream and to gain vision. And what I was so impacted by Jesus calling is is that's what it is. This is more than just a two-way transactional relationship. This is us getting the heart and the mind of God. I'd like to share thoughts from Jesus calling August 3rd. Though the world applauds quick-witted retorts, my instructions about communication are quite different. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Ask my spirit to help you whenever you speak. I have trained you to pray, help me, Holy Spirit, before answering the phone, and you have seen the benefits of this discipline. Simply apply the same discipline to communicating with people around you. If they are silent, pray before speaking to them. If they are talking, pray before responding. These are split-second prayers but they put you in touch with my presence. In this way, your speaking comes under the control of my spirit. As positive speech patterns replace your negative ones, the increase in your joy will amaze you. I love this passage and am personally challenged by it. I think in a marriage relationship specifically, our first reaction is not to listen. Our first reaction is to seek to be understood. And the majority of arguments in a relationship are around that idea. I feel misunderstood. And so where we are exhorted here is, no, instead, I'm going to take the opposite posture. I'm going to minister out of the opposite spirit, and I'm going to listen and seek to understand. And for me, how do you know if you're actually doing it? Here's a simple test for me. Am I waiting to say what I have to say? Or am I waiting 
to ask a question so that I could deeper understand what the other person is trying to communicate to me. Because here's what, what happens um, when you get in an intense discussion or maybe argument, um, your, your adrenaline kicks in and what happens is you skip over that executive function of your brain and you go straight to fight or flight. And we know that we can't speak out of logic when we get into fight or flight. And so we've got to calm ourselves. And a way to do that is to simply seek to understand and ask questions of the other person. And as you do that, there's a calmness, there's a peace that comes over them. And as you can repeat back to them and, and truly understand what they're saying, you know what you're also doing? You're also asking the Holy Spirit to, to come and give you true insight into them. I don't know where I would be in marriage if I didn't have the opportunity to pray and to seek the Holy Spirit's help and strength. Um, because that has guided me out of a lot of pride in my life. And so I just, I love this passage. Marriage is, it's not something that will just make you happy in life, right? It doesn't just make life easy. Or once you have that, I think there's this preconceived notion that everything just is fine after that, but it's quite the opposite. You're committing to um, an imperfect person, an imperfect situation. You're committing to hardship sometimes, but you're also you receive joy that comes from the Spirit of God. And this is a, a relationship, a covenantal relationship that if you fully give yourself to it and fully give yourself to God through prayer, that He can make you, He can mold you in a way that is so unique and just bring you back into line, into the treasure that God has made you to be. And so we spend a lot of our lives just trying to come back into the image of God. And I think marriage is a beautiful way that that happens. You can find Joel and Nina's new book, Praying Circles Around Your Marriage, wherever books are sold. Stay tuned for our chat with writer and podcaster Darlene Brock after a brief message about a free offer from Jesus Calling. Are you looking for a way to keep track of your daily prayers along with Jesus Calling? The Jesus Calling Family Prayer Calendar goes right along with your daily readings from Jesus Calling. Each day begins with a guided reflection, followed by a space for you to fill in your prayers of thanksgiving and special requests. You can get your free Jesus Calling Family Prayer Calendar by visiting jesuscalling.com offers. Visit jesuscalling.com offers to download your free family prayer calendar today. Our next guest is writer and podcaster Darlene Brock. After spending nearly 20 years in the Christian music business, Darlene felt God leading her in a new direction, beginning a ministry to help women join together and support each other to become the best versions of themselves. Today, she explains why the support and community is so needed by women as we face unique challenges in our current society. I'm Darlene Brock, and I have worn lots of hats. I'm a mother of two daughters. I am a wife. I've been a business owner. I was a video producer. I've had lots and lots of roles. Um, but currently, I am over the Grit and Grace Project, which is an online magazine for women. And we also do a podcast and just have a whole focus around helping women, including my new book, Raising Great Girls.
I grew up in a small town in Indiana uh, and attended a GARBC church. Now, I don't know how many people know what that is, General Association of Regular Baptists. And it, I mean, it was a good church. The people there were delightful, but they kind of had a lot of rules. And I was not exactly a rule follower uh, in any sense of the world. So between the small town and the rule following church, I just kind of looked for escapes. And some of them weren't great, much to my parents' dismay, although they were lovely to me. Um, I gave them a lot of grief, or I escaped to the local library because I was fascinated by the world at large, especially women's lives who had done something magnificent. So I read every bio of every woman that my library held. I was looking for adventure. I was looking to make some kind of conquest and impact in this world. And I have no idea why a you know, 12-year-old girl would be thinking about that. But I did. I kept thinking there's so much more out there and there's so many women who have already done magnificent things. I want to know about them. I left home two weeks out of high school and still continued my track of not living a stellar life, at least in my faith. And, you know, a couple of years of doing that, the Lord reminded me of what mattered. And it was Him, not all of the stuff I got in. But being extreme, the extreme person that I am, why would I not go from living a mm, questionable life to going, I got it, let's join a Christian commune? Because, you know, if I'm going to surrender to Christ, I'm giving everything up. Um, so I did. You know, I joined it. It became my Bible school. It became my opportunity to grow in the Lord. We took in a lot of runaways and homeless people, and I was taught compassion during those experiences, and I was caught, I, I really saw a lot of the world that I hadn't seen before. But at the same time, I went from one extreme to the other. I went from running away from God to thinking that I had God completely figured out, and I was really, really smart in my faith. And God, you know, as you do as a young person, you get a little bit uh, full of yourself, a little bit self-righteous. And, you know, it didn't take long for me to go, that can't quite be right either. So I ended up leaving there and going and running a Christian campground, which was kind of a great middle ground. We were year round, so we had events on the property too. And one of them we had at the time, the young pioneers of contemporary Christian music. These were a bunch of musicians and guys and girls that worked with them that showed up on the grounds with their hair and their bell bottoms and their, you know, the the guitars and the drum kits and all of the things that were part of the music industry at the time. And they were heavily musicians who had met the Lord and didn't know anything other than music. So all of a sudden they're in this new industry called contemporary Christian music. Dan Brock, who I ended up marrying, was a, a manager of artists and a booking agent. You know, he at the time managed a group called Petra. He was in the business side and in fact, after they left the grounds a year or two later, we had developed mutual friends. And again, I was always looking for a new adventure. 
And he proposed to me that I would come and become a booking agent at his uh, company called The Tame Agency that was a pretty big, significant uh, talent agency of Christian musicians. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I'm like, sure, sounds like something I might want to try. So I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to go to work for him. But the good news was that I actually became a pretty good booking agent. And then nine months later, we got married. My most favorite part of the music business for me, and I was in it for a very long time doing a lot of different things, but my favorite part were the concerts where you saw you saw a whole room of kids dancing, singing, slapping each other on the back, and hearing at the end of the night, they would hear about a, a relationship with Christ. So, I, you know, it was difficult because it was new and people didn't quite know what to do with this. But at the same time, it was so rewarding because we saw lives changed. I was in the music business for a very long time, but then, you know, the the door closed. We had sold our companies. We felt like it was time for us to move on. And we, we just physically moved out of Nashville, Tennessee into Florida. Florida because it was warm. We needed, you know, a year off not doing anything. And, you know, we just kind of needed to regroup because we had been so busy for so long. And when we moved here, my first thing to my husband was, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be? I've only, I've been so busy for the last 20 years that I, you know, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. And it was that season where God started putting a germ in my heart, and it started with my daughters watching them grow up in this culture, in this world that they were living in. Um, and then I, you know, I'd always worked with men. I always, you know, I, I just got on the tour bus with, you know, a whole band of guys. That was normal to me. Women kind of scared me um, because they can, they can be um, challenging, as can men, but in a different way. You know, my journey is different than a lot of people. And I, I thought sometimes during different seasons that I would have trouble explaining to someone my life journey. And, you know, some other people wouldn't understand it and they wouldn't know what to do with my life. And there was this, the, the new devotional um, that I believe has come out not very long ago, Jesus Always Devotional, had one devotion in it that I really, I really liked. It worked for me. And it is, don't compare yourself with other people. The source of much discontentment is comparing yourself with others. I want you to make every effort to avoid this deadly trap. Remember that you are my unique creation, redeemed by my blood and exquisitely precious to me. Stay in joyful communication with me, the Savior, who loves you immeasurably more than you can imagine. I will transform you more and more into the masterpiece I designed you to be. And I think that's important for every single one of us to realize and understand is that, you know, we are truly God's design. And whatever circumstance or opportunity or adventure that is in our life is part of that that will make us exactly what that said, is that we will be the masterpiece that he designed us to be.
So I started uh, the online magazine called The Grit and Grace Project, and it is really incorporating both of those terms. As a woman, you need to have grit so you can deal with the things that are thrown your way, and then you have to have grace for yourself and for those around you. My heart grew toward what women were dealing with and how they were having to conquer this life that could be really, really challenging. And the things that, you know, sometimes they were taught they should act this way or they were taught they should act another way or, you know, there, there's, there's so many views on how a woman should be and think and act from every corner of the world. And, you know, I really just started getting a heart for them, a heart that said, these women need to think they're okay. They need to think no matter what challenge they face, they're going to be able to conquer it, that the strength that they need to do it is somewhere within them. And we started that with several writers that wrote from their life experience. And then we thought, we just want this to be a woman's magazine about every part of her life, whether it's health tips or beauty tips or a purpose article or their faith or motherhood. It it didn't matter. We wanted women to write to, here's what we're dealing with. Here's how we're dealing with it. And sometimes we do it great and sometimes we don't. I think that women need to see other normal women who have gone through difficult things in life and conquered them in the way that they were able to conquer them. I realized in hearing from women and watching what they spoke about that one of the main challenges is in motherhood. And not that all women are mothers. We deal with every different place you're at. We speak into single women's life. We speak into divorce. We, we speak into it all. But there's one thing that kept coming back uh, was that mothers today have so much pressure to do absolutely everything right. They have to feed them right. They have to put the right diapers on them. They have to potty train them in the right way. Then they have to send them to the right school. And then they have to make sure that their teenagers are walking the perfect road and everybody's doing everything right. And if they don't, they're going to find somebody online who's going to tell them how it should have been done. So, you know, I took my experience and my hindsight that said even some of my failures worked out just fine and broke it down in a way that made sense to me. And that is because I was a working mother, the outside of the home, the entire time my girls grew up, I put it into different jobs, different things that moms would have to do at different times in their daughter's life and tried to make it relatable. And at the same time say, you don't have to be perfect to do this and you don't have to get it all right. And your goal is not a child that is perfect either. You're not going to have a perfect child. You're not going to be a perfect mom. Neither one of them exist. So what I'm saying in this book is, but if you raise girls that are confident and capable, then no matter what they face, they'll figure it out. They'll find the path that they need to take. And that's really your goal. Not that they get everything right or you do, but that at the end of the day, they have the basic tools they need to conquer life. To learn more about Darlene Brock, The Grit and Grace Project, and her new book, Raising Great Girls, please visit DarleneBrock.com. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with Heisman Trophy winner and former NFL player, Tim Tebow. 
Tim has recently turned his talents toward the film industry, where he and his brother Robbie produced the new inspirational film, Run the Race. We caught up with Tim and the creators and cast members of Run the Race during its premiere. Tim reflects on a central theme of the movie about two brothers who deal with extreme struggles in their lives and how their bond with each other and God grows stronger. I believe that we're all meant for relationships and community with God first and, and then each other. Life's not always going to be easy and it's not always going to be perfect, um, but we believe in you, but more importantly, the God of this universe, He loves you, He gave His best for you, and you matter. You have significance, meaning, and purpose in this earth. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.